Good morning, RP Church. Uh, so grateful to be with you all this morning. Uh, my wife and I, Leah and I, are so thankful to the Lord uh, to be with you all this morning. Uh, it's very special to me, uh, RP Church. You are all very special to me because uh, part of my journey, part of my story, growing in the Lord, getting to know the Lord, and to serving Him began uh, here in Chicago. Uh, with you all, uh, you all play a huge role in my life, and we are so grateful for that. Also special, uh, as I said uh, today, I'm not alone by myself. I'm with my beautiful wife, Leah, and uh, I don't know what's the connection between snowstorms and me. Like, as Phil mentioned, we both came uh, together in January 2015, one of the worst snowstorms, and then uh, we just got married, Leah and I, on January 15th, which was the worst snowstorm again in Chicago. Uh, but I'm so grateful that even in the midst of storms, uh, God is faithful. Uh, God is the one who uh, leads us. Uh, and uh, I want to thank Pastor Phil and Ruth and the elders of the church, the deacons, the members. Thank you for this invitation uh, in welcoming me and giving me this opportunity to share God's word with you all this morning. And also, I would like to bring greetings to you all from Sabkasara Church. We deeply love you all. Uh, we are so grateful for the partnership in the gospel together with you all. And we can't wait to see how the Lord is going to continue to use us, use his church uh, to proclaim his love and the gospel. So without yeah, further delay, I would love uh, to jump into God's word this morning. As you all uh, uh, know, most of you all know, if you are new this morning, we have been going through the gospel of Luke. Over the past few weeks, we have been looking through the gospel of Luke and how Luke has been presenting Jesus. And this morning, we'll be in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 49. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 49. And as you're turning your Bibles there, I would love to begin by telling you a story about an young man. There was an young man, once he was at a motivational seminar. He went to this seminar, and the speaker in the seminar was passionately discussing the importance of surrendering your, surrounding yourselves with positive influences. Well, this young man took that advice to heart and he decided that instead of just listening to speeches, he would physically build his life upon the words of those speakers. So he, he went back home, he started collecting every self-help book, every ins inspirational quote, every motivational poster he could find. Then he literally began constructing his living space with these materials. He built walls of, out of bookshelves filled with positive affirmations. He hung up posters with encouraging messages in every room. And he used all of these pages from the motivational books as wallpapers to. And he built physically his home with all these books. And at first, it was fun and games. It was all good. He felt invisible, invincible, surrounded by all the positivity. But soon, reality hit him. Quite literally. One day, as he was walking through his motivational maze of a home, a shelf collapsed, sending a cascade of books and posters crashing down on him. And as he lay there amidst the remains, he couldn't help but laugh at the folly of the situation. Well, in that moment, he realized the true meaning behind the words of the speaker he was listening to. It's not about physically constructing your life upon the words, but rather about internalizing and embodying the message and wisdom shared by others. He learned a lesson that day that it's not about physically building your life upon those words, but rather internalizing and embodying the message and wisdom shared by others. 
Now this story, it might be humorous in some sense, but it touches something deeper. The single most significant factor in determining the shape and the outcome of your life is whose words you build your life upon. The single most important factor in determining the shape and the outcome of your life is whose words you build your life upon. We see in this world, people build their lives upon many different things. They build upon human philosophy and wisdom. They build upon religious legalism or ritualism. They build upon personal preferences and desires. They build upon material wealth, self-reliance, popularity or approval, power and control, pleasure and instant gratification, or maybe cultural or ideological idols. We see in this world, people build their life on different things. And this morning, if I asked you honestly, what are you building your life upon? Or whose words are you building your life upon? Or upon what are you building your life upon? The question which the text addresses this morning as we look in Luke Gospel is what should you build your life upon? Today we are going to finish the sermon on the plain. I know for the past few weeks we have been going through Luke chapter 6 where Jesus was on the plain and he was giving his words and famously it is known as the Sermon on the Plain and you guys might be so excited today because we are going to finish the Sermon on the Plain. Actually, you know what? We are not going to finish at all. We really are just starting because we have read it, we have heard it and now we have to do it. We have to live it. And this, that's precisely what Jesus says in our text this morning. Today's gospel, today's message is an invitation to you and to me and to the disciples from Jesus. He invites us to closely examine our inner house, to closely examine our hearts. And how do we do that? And he asks, what should we build our life upon and how should we do it? Today, the text addresses this question, what should we build our life upon and how should we do it? And to get an answer for that, let's read Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 49, where God's word says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it was built, it was well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation and when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the word. So this morning, as we look into your word, I pray that you would help us, that you would encourage us, that you would empower us, that you would help us, Lord. We need your grace. 
to listen to your word, to hear it, and not just to hear it, but to do it. So we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that we would hear your word and we would go out into this world and do what you ask us to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, as we go into this passage, I just want to give you a bit of context before jumping into today's passage. We are in the middle of Luke chapter 6, and Jesus has just appointed his 12 disciples and is now delivering a sermon to a great crowd of his disciples in what is commonly called as the Sermon on the Plain. So far in the sermon, we see Jesus has described a great reversal of what it means to be blessed, how his disciples are to be marked by love for their enemies and how we will be judgmental towards others if we are blind to ourselves. And that's where we are in today's passage as Jesus continues his sermon on the plain. And at the end of Jesus' greatest sermon, the sermon on the plain, he asks his disciples, he asks his audience, he asks you and me to inspect our spiritual foundation, to determine whether or not we are his true disciples or not. He raises this question, will others be able to see in you the things that Jesus does? Will others be able to see in his disciples the things that Jesus does? What Jesus is really doing is he is questioning us and he's inviting us to have an honest reflection about who we really are. We will be challenged to reflect honestly against the example of Jesus as his disciples, as his church. And this morning, I want to invite you and also challenge you. It's an invitation to you and to me. No matter if you are a new follower of Jesus and you have been a mature follower of Jesus for many years, no matter where you are, church, can we this morning reflect honestly together? And that's what Jesus wants us to do. And Jesus begins, he provides three different images for us to reflect upon. First, our fruits, second, our roots, and third, our treasures. The first of these to reflect upon is our fruits. Jesus says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. We see here in the initial image, Jesus views the fruit of a tree as a reflection of the tree's health and life. Jesus here is in contrasting living and dead trees. Since dead trees can't bear any fruit, instead what Jesus compares here lies in quality whether the fruit is valuable or worthless. We see Jesus, the comparison here lies in the quality. And I'm pretty sure all of us here are familiar what it is like to have a good fruit. For example, a good apple should be firm without any bruises and blemish on the skin. It should have a fresh, fruity aroma. And we also know what it is like to have a bad fruit or a bad quality. You know, when I was a kid, like back home in India, like when I was very young, when I was a kid, my parents sometimes used to take me uh, to grocery shopping. And in in India, typically, when we buy fruits, they're all outside. And I used to see my parents, either my mom or dad, they used to pick up a fruit, keep it in our bag, and then they would look at another fruit, and she would drop it back into the pile. I was like, what is she doing? Like, Why is she picking one fruit, and why is she dropping another fruit? But now, after me growing up, now when I go to shop, when I go to grocery stores, I do the same. I go, when I want to pick a fruit, I go and choose a fruit, and I see it's good, and I keep it in my basket. And I see another fruit, and I leave it back. Why? Because now I know to choose the good fruit. 
I can see, I can recognize what's a good fruit and I can recognize what's not a bad, what's not a good fruit. Although in its total entirety, like in its totality, maybe that fruit is not entirely rotten, but I would rather set it aside and concentrate solely on the good ones. I would only pick the good ones because I want the good ones. And hear me, Jesus is not concerned here about his helping his disciples to go grocery shopping and to buy the best good fruit here. What Jesus is concerned here, his desire is he's helping them to examine their fruit, specifically their actions, indicating that the things that they do. What Jesus is doing is examining their fruit, specifically their actions. And that's the first image which Jesus gives in our text this morning. And as he continues, the second image which Jesus presents to his disciples, to the audience, to you and to me, is to, is to reflect upon our roots. Jesus says, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. We see here, observe what Jesus does here. He examines us right down to our very roots. In the previous image, the focus was on a distinction in quality, excellent versus worthless. Whereas here, the emphasis is on nature. The emphasis is on nature. You see, the people at the time of Jesus would have no problem in recognizing the examples that Jesus cited here. Fig fig trees were a symbol of fertility, peace, and prosperity, while the grape was a symbol of joy. And opposed to this imagery was bramble and the thorns, whose usefulness was very limited. You see here, the issue which is at hand in the image Jesus is presenting is our very nature. And I would say it's our sin nature which Jesus is addressing here. Jesus addresses the sinfulness rooted in every human heart and the tragic solidarity of all humankind in sin. And such radical sinfulness, basically invisible to the unaided human eye, since the power of sin lies in darkness, can only be seen and owned in the light of God's faithful mercy and unconditional love. Understand this, church. Jesus is rescuing us from our sin's penalty, which is great, but not only is rescuing us from our sin's penalty, the wages of our sin, he's also liberating us from our sinful tendencies, which have infiltrated every aspect of our being. Sin has corrupted us, and Jesus is not only saving us from the penalty of sin, but he is also liberating us from our sinful tendencies. But the good news is you and I have been affected by sin, but the good news is sin has no grasp on Jesus, and as St. John says, Christ in the truth of our nature was made like us into all things sin only expects for which he was clearly void, both in flesh and in spirit. He came to be the lamb without spot, who by sacrifice of himself once made should take away the sins of the world, and sin was not in him. Jesus alone is pure. We see the fruit of the spirit, our characteristics of Jesus. Jesus shows to the world a steadfast, consistent, sanctifying, and deep love. It is sacrificial and unending. Jesus is the one who shows us what true love is. Jesus alone is pure. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. The world has much need of it, and Jesus abundantly possesses it, and he generously bestows upon the world. 
And then the question arises, and then there are his disciples who are learners of the teachings of Lord Jesus, followers of Lord Jesus, extensions of him and his character, and what might the crowd, what might the world expect when they come and meet and have an encounter with his disciples? Maybe they would expect love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But what if the crowd, but what if the world approaches the disciples with expecting of finding grapes only to discover thorns instead? What if the world comes expecting all these things from the disciples and they would found exactly the opposite? And some of you might be wondering, but shine, isn't that the human nature? Isn't that the nature itself? Can you blame the disciples, can you blame us? Because that's our nature. And church, this morning, there are times that when we struggle to comprehend entirely the message and mission of Jesus. Jesus isn't solely focused on merely coming and saving us and taking us into heaven. Although he does that, he saves us and he takes us to heaven. But that's not only what he's doing. Not not only is saving us, not only is changing our beliefs, although he does that, what he's doing is, is redeeming us entirely from the head to toe. He's purifying us from the inside out. He's transforming us completely right down to our roots. That is the mission of Jesus. He came to save us, to take us back with himself, but at the same time, he is redeeming us, he's transforming us, he's changing us from the inside out. He is completely transforming us right down to our very roots. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. And that's why he's asking and telling these things to his disciples and to you and to me because he loves his disciples. He loves you and me. And now following the examination of our fruits and our nature, we may question if he still can explore even more deeper, is there anything more deeper he can? Yes, his work has not yet finished. The third image Jesus wants us to reflect upon is our treasure. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You see here, the image which Jesus uses is the treasure. And the treasure, Jesus is concerned here, it lays within our very own hearts. And in order to understand what Jesus is saying, we need to understand what the heart really is. Author and writer Paul Tripp, in one of his books, he says, the heart is the real you. It is the essential core of who you are. In other words, the heart is the casual core of your personhood. It is the essence of who you are and the reason behind your every desire, thought, attitude, word, and action. And Jesus is incredibly interested in your heart. Jesus is incredibly interested in you because he loves you. His primary focus is our hearts because what the heart treasures and stores up is what influences what comes out of our hearts. In other words, your output will match your input. If you input the things of the world, don't be surprised what your speech and actions resemble. 
It would resemble the world, world more than Christ. But if you input Christ, his gospel, his promises, and the eternal glory that it awaits for you, then your speech and your actions will resemble Christ more than the world. So this morning, what is your heart treasuring and storing up? Are you treasuring Christ and his gospel? Are you treasuring sin and the false promises of this world? Are you storing up the eternal things of heaven in your heart? Are you storing up the temporal things of earth in your heart? Can we have a honest reflection, church, this morning? This is a honest reflection which Jesus wants us to do. It's for you and for me. What does your heart want? What do you love the most? You know, your heart and my heart is deceitful. Prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But God knows it. He sees everything. And he knows each one of your hearts. And he loves to speak to each soul individually. St. Augustine, he set out to discover why is it that most people in this world are so discontent in their lives. His conclusion was that for most of us, our lives are out of order. We have disordered loves. And he believed that sin simply is disordered love. Sin is misdirected love. However, Jesus came not only to redeem our souls for eternity, but he also came to redeem our hearts, our very own hearts. He came to restore our capacity to love as originally intended to. Jesus is redeeming our ability to love God and to love others and how he intended us to love. Church, after we examine our actions, after we examine our intrinsic nature, after we examine our deepest affections and love, Jesus leaves all metaphorical language and imagery, and he simply states directly, and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. Remember, church, like Jesus is addressing this to to a crowd, but specifically he's addressing to his disciples. We see in Luke chapter 6, in the beginning, we see in verse 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level plain with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all these places came. And then in verse 20, it says, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Jesus is talking to his disciples here and he tells them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I ask you to do? You see here, the title Lord acknowledges the deity of Jesus, for Lord was a term that Jews applied to God and it acknowledges the supremacy of Jesus over their lives. Jesus is Lord and I am his servant. Jesus is Lord, no one else, not Caesar, not any other gods and not especially me. And it implies that they are acknowledging his ownership and they were his humble servants. But the sad thing is the disciples and Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you confess with your lips, which is excellent, but you don't show that in your behavior? The confession of the lips was excellent. However, they didn't actually behave as a servant does 
for their master. Why do you say you love me, but you don't love me? Why do you preach love your enemies, then you hate, you know who in your heart? Why do you say, I'm going to do good for all, but only do good if it benefits you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? You see here, the emphasis Jesus is placing here is on the word to do something, to respond obediently, to do something or to respond to someone. The kingdom of God, which Jesus is addressing here, is not a matter of talk, but the kingdom of God is that of power and by the power of the Spirit to do what Jesus asks us to do. In church, the problem Jesus is getting here is not unique to his disciples. It's not unique to you and to me. The problem Jesus is getting here goes all the way back to the garden. David Platt, in one of his books, Radical, he says, everything in all creation responds in obedience to the Creator until we get to humans, to you and to me. We have the audacity to look to God in his face and say, no. We see here in the creation story, we see in the garden where God created everything and at, the, at his word, everything came into existence. Everything in this creation obeys to God. And then he created humans, he created Adam and Eve, and then he gave them the choice whether to obey God or not to obey God. And then Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And then what does the God say? He says, what have you done? What have you done? And so the problem here Jesus is addressing is nothing new. It started in the garden where we see the first human disobeying God. But then Jesus is making the disciples to be part of his solution. Jesus is making you and me part of his solution. We saw in the previous verses, Jesus says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. What does others see in Jesus' disciples? What does others see in you and me when they look at you? Can people tell that you and I are disciples of Jesus by the things you and I do? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Church, what Jesus is asking here is, when he's asking this question, he's not asking for a reason. He's not asking disciples, give me a reason to this question. But what he's seeking for them is to have a response. He looks for a response from his disciples. And church, as this morning, as we contemplate Jesus' life and his teaching, can we be truthful with ourselves? Can we respond to Jesus truthfully? Are there areas in your life, in my life, which fall short? Do I recognize Jesus' expectation and acknowledge when I fall short? Jesus states, love your enemies, which we heard in the last week. At whose face do you and I envision that stirs anger within us? Jesus also said, do not judge or you too will be judged. And who do I criticize in my thoughts as if I am perfect? We see Jesus not only seeks a response 
church, this family, but Jesus understands you and me. I don't know where this morning you are at. I don't know exactly what situation you're going to. Maybe I may not be fully able to understand you this morning. But Jesus understands you. And we need to also understand this, that what Jesus is calling us to is a lifelong process. We all need healing. We are all in the process. And we will fail. And we will make mistakes. And we will fall short. And for this is... And for this, we need a lot of grace from God and from each other. But it is possible to attain Jesus' standard. It is possible because of the grace of God, which Jesus gives to you and me. So Jesus can rightly command us to do what he says. Jesus comprehends more deeply than many. Jesus understands you and me than anyone else. And the question is, will we have faith in him? when he confronts us? Will we have faith in him when he scrutinizes us and our actions? Will we have faith in him to uproot the sin that tarnishes us and affects us and affects those around us? Will we entrust him with our most cherished and profound treasures? In church, in learning to trust Jesus and his words, we then learn to do the words of Jesus. In learning to trust him and his words, we then learn to do the words of Jesus. And that brings to the final words of Jesus in our passage this morning. Jesus says, his words 47, he says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. See, again, again, the emphasis in this verse is on the word does. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. You see, what Jesus is getting here is the primarily, primary human concern which Luke has been addressing throughout the gospel so far, the need to change, the need to do what Jesus calls us to do. You see, the primary thing Jesus is addressing is the need to change. We see in the Gospel of Luke, we see in Luke chapter 3 where the crowd comes and they hear to the John the Baptist and John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of God is near and the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? We see the tax collectors, we see in Luke chapter 3, they come and they ask to the Lord Jesus, they say, teacher, what shall we do? And we see in Luke chapter 3 verse 14, the soldiers also ask Jesus, what shall we do? And honestly, we as disciples of Jesus, we sometimes, we don't like asking this question, what shall we do? Because we know that our salvation is not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. And we don't want to confuse that. And we should not confuse that. And neither does Luke confuse that. In fact, later in the Gospel of Luke, we see Luke presents a story of this woman who comes and intrudes the dinner party and we, where she washes the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says this, your sins are forgiven. And it is the same Jesus who says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not tell you what I ask you to do. And elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke, we see a tax collector comes to Jesus and he begs, God, be merciful to me and I am a sinner. And Jesus says, yes, you have been justified today. And it is the same Jesus who says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not to what you call me? 
Here's what Luke is getting at, church. The same Jesus who paid my debt demands discipleship for me that is costly. The same Jesus who gives endless second chances expects me to make something of those chances. The same Jesus whose standard I could never meet, he asked me to come lean upon me and I will show you how you can follow me. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Jesus says here, make my words your foundation. Now church, Jesus' words are not my words. I could say something and they could not be true. I could say something and I could be lying. I could say something and I could confuse you. And I could say something that might be absolutely wrong, but Jesus' words are not my words. Jesus' words are the truth. Jesus' words are the foundation to your life and my life. And as one of my brother at Sapka, when he was sharing this word and he was encouraging us, this is what he said, Joshua, he said, his words are the ones which fasten the universe together. And by his words, it held fast together. His word, which engineered the bedrock beneath our feet and gave gravity its strength. His words, which Tozer says, are quick and powerful. In the beginning, he spoke to nothing and became something. Chaos heard it and became order. Darkness heard it and became light. Make his words your foundation. The very words which will one day will ring through heavenly courts, silencing the accuser named Satan and declaring you are forgiven. The very words which will one day arise to the tomb where your body lays, commanding awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead to forever bask in Christ's radiating light. The very words which will call for the new heavens and new earth and new Jerusalem and announce to you and your brothers and sisters that behold, the new is here, the new has come and the new will be without end. Will you make the words of Jesus your foundation? And if you do that, he is like a man building a house which dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. You see the man in this story who dug deep. He did not give in to temptation. He did not want things to be easy, but he dug deep. He did hard work because you know why? He is after something. He wanted something that was worth it. He wanted the foundation to be the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it has been well built. Some, some scholars believe that these storms refer to the troubles of life and others to the final judgment. But no matter what these storms are, is your life built on a good foundation? Are you built on the rock? What happens to you in the storm tells you how you build your life. Have you been through a storm lately? It might be a financial storm. It might be a relational storm. It might be a tragic storm of an unexpected death in your family. Storms will come. They do for everyone. No one escapes from the storms. And how you survive the storms depends on how you build your life. Is Jesus your rock? Do we trust that he is the truth, that he is good, and that his words will forever remain? Do we trust that even if we are hated in this life, that his word tells that we are forever loved? Do we believe that even if we have everything taken for us in this life, that his words and his promise for us as an inheritance will be with us forever? If so, if we believe that, what do we really have to lose? We have nothing to lose 
We can love our enemies knowing that how much God loves us. We can give to everyone who begs from us knowing that our treasure is secure in heaven. We can deny ourselves knowing that we are truly satisfied in Lord Jesus. We can repent and do what the Jesus asks us to do, knowing that his words will never fail in this life or the life to come. But then Jesus says, but the one who hears and does not do like them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. Maybe this morning you are hearing this message and this doesn't give you comfort. Jesus doesn't want us to give a comfort which is false. Jesus wants us to give a comfort which is real. Today, this morning, if you're hearing this message, if you're feeling shaken by this message, much like this man in this passage who built his house on the sand, I would ask, what is your foundation? Who do you look as your example? Who do you turn in order to justify your actions? If this is you and you realize that you have been basing your life on weak foundation, your reputation or your family or your abilities or your knowledge, you're shaken because you know that the things that Jesus has called you to do and you're tried to do as he wills. And with every one step forward, you take two steps back. And you're shaken because you know that he loves you and he has died. He gave his life for you. And you're shaken. You throw yourself independence of him and you cry Lord have mercy on me I'm a sinner and if you are like that I would encourage you that you have a solid foundation you are standing on the words of Jesus praise be to God my dear church family though you and I are shaken though you and I quake and though you and I may feel ourselves moved Jesus remains unmoved Church family, we are saved by grace and we are changed by grace. And what does it look like for us? And what is this word asking us to apply this morning as we hear the challenge and invitation of Jesus? And what does it look like for you and me to challenge one another but not to crush one another? What does it look like to raise the standard for godly living but not give rise to pride? What does it look like to do what Jesus is asking us to do and to not forget his grace? It looks like correction, accountability, reproof. And it's most effective when, and most helpful and most Christ-like when it begins and ends in love. And that is what we see in Jesus. While we were at sinners that Christ came and he died for us and we strive for perfection we must remember that perfection lies not in legalism or moralism or self-righteousness perfection lies in the life death and resurrection of Christ Jesus the God who gave himself for those whom he loved you see here Jesus is not only giving us a new ethic but he calls us into a new relationship. He says, follow me and I will change you. The power to do these things comes from Jesus, from a relationship with Jesus. Follow Jesus and he will change you. He is the one who is the foundation of our lives. He is the one who can change us. He is the one who will empower us to do the things he calls us to do. I love the gospel of Luke and the Sermon of the Plain and how Luke begins the Sermon on the Plain. You see, Luke says, he begins by sermon by saying, and he came down with them 
and stood on a level plain with a great multitude of his disciples and started saying these words. Do you see that? Jesus came down and he stood on the level plain with his disciples. Jesus not only asked his disciples to do things, but he is not far away from them telling them to do these things, but he stepped down from the heaven. He comes down. He comes close to us and he says, come, follow me. Come, walk with me. I will empower you. I will give you the strength. I will help you to do the things that I call you to do. And church family, if you see the structure of Luke chapter 6, the sermon on the plain, you see the central axis, the central thing of Luke chapter 6 is this verse where it says in verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. You see here in the sermon on the plain, first and foremost, God is a God of mercy. In fact, mercy, not perfection, as in the sermon on the plain is the defining characteristic of God. God is a merciful God and if today you and my, I humbly go to God, God, show me your mercy. I want to follow you. I want to do the things that you call me to do. Our God is a merciful God. He says, yes, come to me. I have plenty of grace to give to you so that you can do. So church family, as we close, Jesus is inviting us to make his words the foundation of your reflection, of your confession, and your repentance. And as we reflect on ourselves, we reflect also on the person of Jesus, comparing our fruits to his fruits, our roots to his, our teaching and our treasures to his. And as we confess, we confess to the person of Jesus, trusting that he wants to make us new. And as we repent, we repent doing the things he tells us to do and following his example. And let us never forget that no matter how many times we fail, we may always fall forward into the arms of Jesus, and that is what it means to have Christ as our foundation. Edward Mort wrote it well in his familiar hymn. He says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Church, build your life on Jesus' words for this life and the one to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of mercy, that you lovingly invite us and you challenge us to self-reflect on who we are so that we could follow you, so that we could be your true disciples. So I pray, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, with your grace, that we would be honest with ourselves, that we would be reflecting on who we are and our fruits and our roots and our treasures, and we would fall in your arms so that you would help us to follow you to do the things that you call us to do. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our foundation and nothing can shake you. So we pray and we ask that you would help us to follow you and to reflect you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.